Welcome to A Love Like This. I'm Abby. I'm Paige. And I'm Ben. And we are so glad that you are here. As we sit down each week with some amazing guests and close friends, our hope is that you would be encouraged to take heart in the troubles of this world and would start living a more abundant and fruitful life. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of A Love Like This. So we met Gabby through Instagram three years ago and she has been such an incredible sister in Christ to us ever since. She's a youth pastor alongside her husband Dylan at their local church in Michigan. She also has recently begun a young women's ministry called Freed, where as a community they encourage one another in the freedom that they have in Christ. Running the race set before us can sometimes be difficult. This week we spoke a lot about running the race set before us with endurance, the ways in which we can use the gifts God has given us, how we first find those gifts, how we can find complete satisfaction in all that God has given us, and lastly, how God moves first when we move. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Gabby. It's been a while. Hi, I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. Um, so you got, you're on the show like during season one. So I'm sure there are a few people who maybe are new listeners or who missed your previous episode. Um, so for those people, can you just give us like a little bit of a backstory about you, what you're doing, a little bit about your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. So basically I did not grow up in the church. I kind of had an encounter with God when I was 18 years old. Um, We lived, actually, my dad was an atheist growing up and we had only gone to church usually during Christmas or Easter, very occasionally. Um, And over just a span of time of um, just a lot of really difficult and tough things in my family between unemployment and alcoholism and our home going to foreclosure, I remember getting to a place um, of just genuinely wondering, um, is this all there is to life? Is it just gen- is it just a series of unfortunate events? Like I felt something deep in my heart being like, there has to be more. Um, and I remember after senior year of high school, just having another really rough year kind of getting to the end of myself and I my first um thing that I kind of did was I just remember looking up prayers like on google images (laughs) like it was a nighttime (laughs) prayer and a good morning prayer and I would just say those out loud and it was kind of just the beginning of um something really special but after kind of going to church with my grandma and running into my mentor and now like pastor's wife faith um that was how I got plugged into my home church where I'm at right now and God just started really intertwining um a bunch of really beautiful things that started out with just this little sense of being like, God, I believe you're there, but I just really need you to show me. And he did that by just putting all the right people in my life and opening up doors for me to par- be a part of church communities. I met my husband and we now um, we're going to the church that my mentor Faith and her husband had started. And that's where we do youth ministry, where the youth pastor is there. And that's where I do my young women's ministry group freed as well. Oh my goodness. How did you and Dylan meet again? I can't remember if we spoke about that. <laughs> yeah, we met on Instagram. It's honestly the funniest story, but he's from <laughs> Nebraska and then I'm from Michigan. Um, it was so funny. 
uh, when I look back on it. Cause, um, I would remember being in the market being like, Lord, I want a godly husband, but I'm going to wait. Like I'm not dating anybody else until it's my husband. Like I committed that. And then the next day, um, Dylan followed me on Instagram and I was like, Lord, can you really work that fast sometimes? But <laughs> I think the Lord was just genuinely waiting for me to surrender. So yeah, wow. yep, Dylan was so good to move out here and with to me, uh, in Michigan and it's been a wild and such a fast, like five, four years. Oh my goodness. How long has it been? Wow. wow. <laughs> and I'll have to retell the story. We found Gabby through, um, the Instagram Explorer page, I think as much as I hate that. Oh page, my goodness. It was through, a, it was through like a, one of those like love underscore authentic magazine sort of Instagrams. And they had reposted your engagement photos. And I was like, Oh, this is so cute. And that was when I was really on fire for my faith. And I saw that you were as well. And I was like, Oh, she's amazing. And then I guess we just, uh, got in contact back in 2019. I remember telling you just my complete, like my story to a complete stranger and you were just so encouraging about it. <laughs> and oh, sort of that's wow. how we connected. Um, let's go back and talk about Freed for a second because we briefly spoke about this prior to recording. But tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I um, had come to know the Lord. I was like 18 and I had actually had this like encounter with him where I was saved and I gave my life to him just two weeks before I went to Michigan State University. So um, I remember just like really growing in my faith, my freshman year of college in particularly. And I like looking back, saw how pivotal that time in my life was. I feel like college students are really, they have like a new um, at least in my experience, they've always been really open to hearing about the Lord because it's the first time that they are stripped from what all they know. And they're open to hearing about something new for the first time. A lot of them are experiencing culture shock or they're all alone. A lot of them might just be being weighed down by the worries of life and a college atmosphere. And, um, my heart was always just to really show the young college women, like the next generation of women who Jesus was. So, I remember being in college myself and being like, Lord, I want my own Bible study one day. I want my own young women's ministry one day. And in the midst of this prayer, I just remember hearing the word freed and it just like came so boldly, like in my heart. And I, it wasn't like this profound statement. It wasn't like this huge, big promise from God. It was just this, it was just the name. And I remember hanging on to that being like, that's what freed is going to be is it's going to be a ministry um, that shows young women like true freedom in Christ to be freed from the ways of this world. Um, and yeah, the whole ministry is really based on how you can live a life of true freedom in Christ, freedom from addictions, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, toxic relationships, wounds from your past, comparison, jealousy, the list goes on and on, but just helping women. Um, I always would think that, you know, the Lord must be so grieved when he sees his own children walking around in bondage. When he says that I came to set the captives free, I came that they may have life and life more abundantly. And I feel like the freedom usually comes through walking in a group. It comes in community. Um, so that's kind of where it all began. And now it's just been really flourishing. It's been so beautiful. Oh, that's amazing. I love that so much. And you told me before recording this, I mean, you didn't have to share about this if you don't want to, but I think it's... No, I love it. I, lo I love what you said about how, like when you first started this, I guess, implementing this dream in your life, it failed a few times before yeah. it actually <laughs> took off. So do you just want to briefly share that while we're yeah. recording? Yeah, absolutely. So... And I think that can be something that's so overwhelming too, is sometimes we'll get these 
words from God or these promises from God, or we have these desires in our hearts. It's like, it's such a God thing. And we can get frustrated sometimes feeling like it's not happening fast enough, or maybe it's not playing out the way we wanted it to. But just to encourage anybody who's in that place, just to know that you don't put the desires of your heart in there. God does. And he says, I had a plan for you before you were even born. So we look back and think over what are the things I've been passionate about from the very beginning? Um, and just hanging on to that because yeah, like what you're saying, when I started freed, um, I actually gave it a first go. This was probably two and a half years ago. And I just did like a Bible study in my backyard with young women and, um, God was so good. He did bring a lot of girls. Um, and I would say for a few months, it was pretty consistent, but over time it dwindled out. And I remember being so confused being like, Lord, it started so strong and people were so excited and it seemed like they were going to be here forever. And, um, it dwindled out and I remember starting it a second time and being like, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And again, um, I had girls kind of come to my house and we were going through a series and after just like four weeks, again, it just went to nobody showing up week after week. And then there was a third time and it was during, um, COVID and I knew that was going to be kind of hard because a lot of people weren't meeting up, but there, um, were maybe people who would be willing to come together, um, And at that time, um, that was actually like the biggest uh, group that came. And I really thought that was going to be it. I remember having 50 college girls show up to the first like kickoff of the Bible study and being like, this is it. And God, again, was so good because it just took about, you know, they were there for the school year, but it did. It dwindled out again after like six months or so. And it just left me so confused. Um, But looking back, I could see that God was confirming. He's like, you're on the right track. Like, this is what I've put in your heart, but it's not the right time. And I think that just says so much about the character of God, too, because um, I hang on to just, I know we hear all the time, but when people say like, God can't steer a ship that's not moving. And I really hung on to that. Cause I'm like, even if I move in the wrong direction, at least God can redirect me. But if I'm just standing still, I'm just sitting in paralyzation and I can't really receive direction because I'm not operating in a form of faith by going out and just receiving, is this it? God, is this it? And, um, he's so good to correct. And at that time, I remember laying down, um, setting this aside that dream for about um, maybe like six months again, and um, just thinking outside the box and really being like, okay, what would be different? And at the time I was thinking, what if we got a retreat and it would just be three days and just could pour into these girls, they could bond, they could talk about their testimonies, just create like that really strong sense of unity and community within these girls. And um, I was like, Lord, this is kind of my like last, like my last shot at this. And Um, yeah, then I would say it was after that retreat where God just blew all of us away, but that was the first time I consistently have had, um, girls coming to the Bible study and serving and being involved, um, very consistently. So it's been going on for about eight months now. Um, and it's been the most beautiful thing and just consistently growing, but it did fail three times over like a two and a half year span of time before then. So, so wild. That is amazing. I've actually never heard that quote before about the ship. So I absolutely love that Mm. so much. Um, I didn't have this written down for you, Gabby, but I'm curious to know, what is it like as a youth pastor? Like, what is that like Mm. for you? Wow. It's, um, gosh, there's some, the highs are so high and the lows are so low. Like I, it is very, and I honestly feel like I can't speak for everybody. 
Um, but at least for me, I think in ministry, at least for me, I have not experienced a whole lot of the in-between. It's like the highs and the mountaintops are like, God, this is amazing. And this is so beautiful. And then you might have a shorter period of just kind of being in the middle and things are kind of running and you're doing what you know to do. But the lows are so hard because ministry, I mean, relationship it, relationships in general require you to get so close. Um, but I think that's, uh, the beautiful thing about ministry is there's nothing more fulfilling than seeing somebody grow in their relationship with Christ. And I think that's why the highs are so high. Um, and then when people walk away or when people no longer come, you have to really just take the pressure off of you. And I think that's why the lows are so hard. Cause I'm learning to take the pressure off of myself and being like, did I do what I could do? I like, I know I invested, I know I was available. I know I was willing. Um, and if you can say those things at the end of the day, then the burden is off. Um, but you still can't help but to be grieved for, um, you know, the younger generation, if, um, maybe they're just not at that place where they're wanting to fully choose Jesus yet. Um, but it's so worth it. I've never experienced anything more fulfilling in my life. And I think that's why my heart probably just like yours is so much for the upcoming generation, for the youth and the college students, because they need it more than any other generation right now. We all do. But um, the fate, whatever's getting trickled down to our generation, we're just getting like the little drops left is what it feels like. Just um, so if we can have um, just people who are willing like you and just other people to invest in the youth. Gosh, it's just so rich, um, but it is so fulfilling, but it, it, it can be hard because there's so many distractions and so many things wanting to pull out that our generation in particular, at least I feel like. That's so good. And that is so, so true. Um, let's go to your present, I guess, relationship with God. What is God teaching you right now? Uh, so, so much. I, um, a couple weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, and you might be familiar with this story because it actually took place in Sydney to Melbourne, um, Australia. But I don't know if you've heard, do you know who Clifford Young is, like the ultra marathon runner? No, I'm sure probably um, people here would definitely know. I'm just probably just <laughs> sure. and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I read this article um, a few weeks ago and it just blew my mind. And it's a story about Clifford Young. And basically there's this ultra marathon from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. And it's about equivalent to like 550 miles. It's absolutely insane. Like the kind of athletes who participate, um, this was also back, I believe it was in the eighties. Um, but during this time, a lot of people would watch this marathon online and, or sorry, on their TVs <laughs> online at the time. Um, but it was almost like an Olympic event. It was all the athletes were in their twenties. They were often like sponsored by like Nike or Puma or Adidas. Like they had these sponsorships and um it was the biggest athletic event basically outside of the olympics like worldwide people would tune in to watch and um on the day of this like the starting of the race it normally takes about people about five days and people in like the prime health like the best athletes in the world are the only ones running in this race well, this man comes up and his name was Clifford Young and he was 61 years old and he was in his like farmer boots and like <laughs> his overalls and like his head, just like his typical like potato farmer outfit. And he signed up to run this race and everybody's like shocked. Like he is the oldest one by like 30 to 40 years. He's one of the only ones without any sponsorships, like any titles for himself. And, um, 
everyone's almost like concerned. Like, can this man do it? Like, this is such an extensive race and he's not even wearing the right gear. Like he's in like (laughs) the craziest clothes, you know, like you look around and you think like all these people probably have the best outfits, like the best shoes and best water bottles. But, um, all, all of a sudden he's getting the attention of all these, um, interviewers and these reporters and people are asking him, they're like, do you genuinely think you can run this race? And he was just like, I do. So they kind of line up all these runners and then Clifford to begin this ultra marathon. And, um, they of course start the race and he is, I guess he's running in a way that's like so awkward and so (laughs) slow that they're like afraid he's going to hurt himself. Mm. Like it's just like (laughs) his run looks just so bad. And like right off the gate, like he is, the runners are so far ahead of him. Um, well, the, the point of this race was everybody normally had to run 17 to 19 hours a day. Um, and then they would sleep anywhere from like seven to five hours at night. Um, well, Clifford didn't know that or like, didn't choose that. So he just kept running throughout the night at like his little awkward shuffle. So night after night, these runners were asleep and he was still continuing at his extremely slow pace. And, um, basically it turns out like what ends up happening is when one of the reporters at the race has an idea of a time that someone might uh, cross the finish line, they kind of give this huge notification out almost like, Hey, tune in around like two 30. We think we see somebody who's about to like, you know, break the, um, break the ribbon to win the race. And the time came where they're like, we think we see a runner, everybody tune in after like five full days of running. They're so excited to find out like who the best athlete is in the world to run this race. And out comes Clifford Young, the 61 year old potato farmer (laughs) in first place. And he wins this race and everyone is shocked. They're like, how did you do it? Like, how did you win? This makes no sense. And he's like, I just never stopped running. And like, I don't know why this just struck such a deep chord in me. I was like, it was so beautiful because he, he just never stopped, even though everybody in front of him had all of these um, people who were cheering him on and sponsoring them. And they were more, um, they looked stronger and they looked like they had more of a following or more influence, or they were easily going to be at any point in time he could have stopped. And he said, I, he was willing to do it just for fun. He was willing to do it just because And we can so often look at the pace other people are running, but what God is saying, he's like, I just need you to stay at my pace. I need you to stay slow and steady. And I need you to just not stop. And he had no, like, that's the crazy part is I don't know if Clifford ever knew he was in first. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he knew that. And like, that's the crazy thing is like, I just think about even too, how often I was thinking about that when I think about David and Goliath is David, when he, and this even pertains to our gifts, because so often we'll look at what somebody else is doing and we'll think that's successful. So we'll try to emulate it for ourselves and we fail every time because it's not authentic to us and it's not what God created us to do. And I think about David and Goliath and what was familiar to David was his slingshot. Like that was what he grew up knowing how to use. And when he went out to, to um, battle Goliath, everyone was trying to put on armor that everybody else was using. And he goes, this isn't familiar to me. I don't know how to use this like this. What I know how to use is this. And it looked like such a weak tool, something that wasn't that um, like wasn't going to be powerful. And it was because he was he trusted God with the one skill that he had that he was able to defeat this giant. And I think that about 
Clifford, it turns out that Clifford was actually a shepherd boy. Like growing up, he was a kid who he would, um, throughout the night, he said that his family had 2000 acres of land. And as a boy, he would go out and he would spend three nights going in and bringing in all the sheep. So that's what he always ran all these miles in was his, his overalls and his boots. <laughs> and that is what allowed him to get first places. Cause he didn't try to be like somebody else and put on the right gear or come in at a certain age or thinking that he needed this huge audience behind him. He just was faithful with what he knew he was good at. And he, God blew him away. He ended up went, getting first place and he actually broke the world record for the ultra marathon. It's like, <laughs> Isn't that wild? That is so wild. I guess on this on this topic of running our own race, um, and we hear about it. Oh, you can help me with this. Is it Ephesians where it talks about running the race up before us? Is it in Ephesians? I think so. Okay, I'm so I bad, but so. I'm like, I know it's sure. in there. It's in there somewhere. We we'll yeah. just go. It's in there. Um, why do you think it's so important for us to run in our own lane? Because so often, Paige and I were talking about this the other day. We can go in other people's lanes. We can try like what you said and be like that girl or do what she does or, you know, do what they're doing. And we fail every single time. So why do you think it's so important to run our own race in our own lane? I think why it's so important is because that's the only place where like true satisfaction in your walk is at. Like if you're the only place to have full fulfillment, full satisfaction to operate completely in your purpose is to be running in your own lane, is to be staying at your own pace, is to be regularly asking God, is this what you've called me to do? Help me to steward what you've given me well. Like reveal to me if there's any gifts that I have that I'm not using. Show me what you would have me to do. Because just like any of us, any time that any of us have tried to operate in a way that isn't um, authentic to us or isn't genuine to us, we always leave feeling frustrated. We leave feeling exhausted. We leave even feeling maybe embarrassed and sad and fr- and confused. Um, and sometimes even being like, am I actually even that impactful? Do I even have that much value? And God is saying, if you would just use what I've given you specifically, you would experience so much satisfaction. You would experience so much joy because you're operating the way he always created you to. Um, it can cost us everything. It can cost us everything trying to look like somebody else. Um, and it can also cost everybody around you when you're not authentic to the calling God's had on you because it's always your obedience. Um, people are always on the receiving end of your obedience. So if you're not being obedient to how God called you, that's also not making you impactful in the kingdom. Yeah. Oh, that is so, so true. What are your practical ways of how we can do that well? Like what are, what are some things that you can do? How do we, how do we do that? Well, on a daily basis, like, what does that look like? Yeah. I think the two biggest things that come to mind are obviously like spending time with God. You can't know what you're created to do without being in regular communion with your creator. It it requires um, like a heart, like that's just seeking after God, wanting to know his will, um, asking him questions, being so practical with God, like I'll be so practical with my questions with God. And we can, it's so good because he says those who ask for wisdom, he gives without reproach. It means you can ask and he, he doesn't have a limit on how much wisdom he gives out to you. And I hang on to that promise because I'm like, God says that if I ask for wisdom, he's going to give it to me. Um, and then the other thing is I you have to be plugged into a local church. And I, I think that's just the biggest thing is I don't know, like, how do you even start like operating in your giftings or running in your own race? If you're not in a body where those gifts are meant to really be used, they're meant to be used everywhere, obviously. But I feel like I always 
look back and see that they started in my local church by mentors helping me and people giving me the opportunity to kind of like practice and fumble and feel my way around as to what exactly I um, am passionate about Mm. in the body. That is so, so good. Okay, we're talking about gifts here. Um, And I know some people struggle with this ability to find their own gifts because sometimes when it feels like we can't find them, it feels like we don't have any at all or we have nothing to offer into the kingdom. What are ways that we can find those gifts? So I actually don't, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day. It's so funny because I feel like we often overlook our gifts so much. Like sometimes they are blatantly in front of our face and because they maybe don't look like one of the more, um, I don't, churchy gifts or gifts that maybe are more like obvious that we don't always, um, consider them gifts. But I remember it's so funny. Um, I remember like if I were, if you would have asked me at like 17 or 18 or 19 years old, like what my giftings are, I would have said, I have no idea. But looking back, I can see how I would have never thought it was a gift, but I was a really good storyteller <laughs> and I would tell people about what God had done in my life. Or I would tell people about even crazy, funny stories of when I was a kid. And I remember even sitting in um, my college cafeteria at the time and I was telling a story about my childhood. And before I knew it, I just had like 20 people sitting around me, just holding up their phone, just recording because they thought it was so funny or they loved the story. And I'm like, but at that time in my life, if you would have said, what's your God-given talent? I don't think I would have said I'm a good storyteller. Like sometimes we overlook these things so much. And I know that I even had um, a woman in my life who was such a great um, influence as well. She was saying she's a pastor's wife and she actually had a really, really difficult season in ministry where she was like, Lord, I I kind of like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Not that she didn't want to not follow God, but she didn't know if she could keep doing what she was doing in ministry. And God just told her, feed my sheep. She was this amazing, like Puerto Rican cook made the best Puerto Rican dishes. And she started going to her local, like, um, like trailer park area. And she would feed these, like, um, just really low income families, her Puerto Rican recipes that were passed on from her families every Sunday. And she's like, I had never felt more fulfilled than when I started using my gift of cooking um, in ministry and like I ever had being in like her lead ministry role and it's different for everybody, but for her, she's like, I had a gift of cooking that like I hadn't even used for years. Like I had never used that for the kingdom. And there's people who can, are such great. Like, I think it's just something like, what is something that you genuinely love to do? What is something you've been passionate about? What's like a topic that, makes you not be able to sleep at night? Like what's something that pushes you to action? Um, What's something that fills up your heart so much? Like that's going to be where your gift is. And it's always, it doesn't have to look like, it doesn't mean you're going to be this anointed worship leader all the time, or you're going to, it doesn't matter. It's going to be because those things are just as impactful and important in the kingdom of God, because God said that he gave you those gifts um, since before he had like a plan for you to use those gifts before you were even born. Um, so just to ask yourself those questions, what's something I genuinely love to do and do it unto the glory of God. Like I would have never said, I don't feel like I'm always the best, um, teacher or speaker, but I do love to just tell my testimony and what happened in my life. So like, I, it just is like, Oh yeah, I love to tell stories. I love to write stories. I love to do those things. But I wouldn't have recognized it as a gift until I was older and kind of could see how that pattern was taking place. Um, But I think those are really good questions to ask yourself and ask the Lord, God, is there a gift that I have in my life that I'm not even 
seeing as a gift right now. So it's going unused, like reveal that to me. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's so powerful. And that's just so inspiring. Wow. I love those questions so much. Um, so this is sort of like a big question, Gabby. And I think this is something that, um, we who know Jesus can struggle with sometimes is finding complete satisfaction in all that God has given us in our lives, the people around us, the gifts that we have. Um, how do we find complete satisfaction in all that God has given us? Mm, I think it just comes from making, how do I word this? Like starting like a process of having a thankful heart, like thankful heart, like being thankful isn't an emotion. I feel like it's a posture. And um, when you can take a moment to be like, Lord, if it's starting your day, at least for me, because I've gone through, I'm in a season right now where I have felt really like, um, let down or disappointed or really kind of like, dang, like I thought this was going to look different. And um, I found that what's really helped me is just making sure like every day, like starting my day by recognizing what God has given me and what I do have. Um, and I know that it's um, a wild statistic, but I think it's anxiety and gratitude cannot exist in the brain at the same time. And I feel like unsatisfaction is often tied with anxiety because then like, you're so unsatisfied that you start getting anxious like okay then how can i get this plan or how can i make sure that this is going to work or what can i do to get x y and z um but i think the way to just satisfaction is just practicing the posture of thankfulness um and that's a hard discipline <laughs> it's hard it requires a lot of intentionality a lot of taking your thoughts captive and filling your mind up with the word of god because it's not natural for our minds to think that way All right, you guys, that wraps up another episode of A Love Like This. We hope you felt encouraged and inspired after listening to this week's conversation with Gabby. So to just give you guys a recap for the week, we spoke about running the race set before us can be a really difficult thing, but we can run it with endurance. We spoke about the ways in which we can use the gifts God has given us, how we first find those gifts, how we can find complete satisfaction in all that God has given us, and lastly, how God moves when we first move. We hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode and we will see you guys next week.